Welcome to I Dare You, a series through the book of Daniel with Skip Heitzig. Would you please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel chapter 7. It is a chapter we started a couple weeks ago, and then we um, had Vision Week last week. We continue today, Daniel chapter 7. As we begin, I want to read to you a few statements, four statements that were made by a pretty prominent leader at one time. He said this, as a Christian, I have no duty to allow myself to be cheated, but I have the duty to be a fighter for truth and justice. Powerful statement. Another one, he said, I believe that today my conduct is in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. A third statement, mankind has grown strong in eternal struggles and will only perish through eternal peace. And finally, he wrote concerning his own nation, for the first time our streets will be safer, our police more efficient, and the world will follow our lead. All of those statements were made in the 1930s by Adolf Hitler, the Chancellor of Germany. He sounded so peaceful, and he had so many believing that he was such a wonderful guy. One man wrote in his diary, after being with Hitler, all sorts of people who have met Hitler are convinced that he is a factor for peace. He does not seek war, but friendship. A previous prime minister of England named Lloyd George met Adolf Hitler after one hour said, Hitler is the greatest living German. And then one year later, he said, I only wish we had a man of his supreme quality at the head of affairs in our country today. Even the Anglican church was awed at Adolf Hitler, saying he is moral and ethical and makes a clear stand for religion. There was only one man in England who was not deceived. His name was Winston Churchill. He said, I'm not convinced. There's something up with this guy. It's bad news blues. Daniel chapter 7 describes a leader who is coming to this world who will make Adolf Hitler look docile. And what happened in Nazi Germany, like child's play. It is a ruler who will dominate the earth. It is a ruler who will persuade and awe the people of this world. He is known most typically as the Antichrist. The Antichrist. A lot of people don't take that seriously. Um, people in the world certainly don't take the Antichrist seriously. Come on, that's, that's a movie. They put the, the Antichrist in the category of the Easter Bunny. Santa Claus. Fictional. Some of you have that look like, you mean you're saying there's no Santa Claus? <laughs> Daniel describes him, and he does so at length. Let's look at chapter 7. Let's pick it up at verse 8, though we read several verses last time we were together in Daniel and covered this. Let's just kind of cover it all in one fell swoop, and then we'll make some remarks about his character. Verse 8, I was considering the horns, this is his vision, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there, in this horn, were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched, 
till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, the hair of his head was like pure wool, his throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, the court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed." I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. I came near to one who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Then he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms shall devour the whole earth, trample it in pieces, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into, the hand, into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me. My countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Just to refresh your memory, Daniel chapter 7 is a prophetic panorama of what happens from the time of Daniel throughout history until Jesus Christ comes back. 
in a very compressed form. Chapter 7 is the panoramic view. This is important. Chapters 8 through 12 will take portions of chapter 7 and expand or highlight an element or elements of it. Basically, Daniel sees four beasts that come out of the earth. We already covered that last time we were together. These are four kingdoms, world empires, just like the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2. But that is not the main theme of this chapter. It's not that this kingdom and then that kingdom and that kingdom, that's included. But the main theme of chapter 7 is the kingdom of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The main theme of chapter 7 is that history, human history, culminates when God the Father gives to God the Son an everlasting kingdom. And we're going to take time and consider the coming of Christ, as mentioned also in this chapter. But today I want to talk to you about this other personality called the Antichrist. Now, as you can expect, throughout history, there have been many guesses as to who the Antichrist is. I mean, it gets crazy. But here's a sampling. Early Christians believed it was Caesar Nero because of his persecutions against them. Others believed it was the Emperor Caligula because in 37 AD he put an image of himself in the Jerusalem temple. Others guessed it would be Charlemagne, Napoleon, Hitler, Mussolini, Joseph Stalin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, Henry Kissinger, Sun Myung Moon, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, and Barack Obama have all been called the Antichrist by different groups of people. I guess it depends on which side you're on, right? You're the Antichrist. I think it's safe to say that none of the aforementioned were or are the Antichrist. We want to look at who that personality is, and there's basically four words that describe him. Ruler, speaker, oppressor, loser. He will be a powerful ruler. He will be a prideful speaker. He will be a painful oppressor. But he will be the principal loser. So let's look at the first one. He's going to be a powerful ruler. You noticed in verse 8 and verse 11 and verse 20 and verse 21 that this person is described in vision form as a little horn that comes up. A little horn. A horn signifies a strong ruler. An animal's horn was the animal's strength. It was used as a weapon. And it was a symbol of power and might. Several times in Scripture, a notable one is Psalm 75, where the Lord says, All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous will be exalted. So, little big horn, or you might say big little horn, this little horn has big plans, and his plans are world domination, to take over everything, and he will increase in strength, because he will need to subdue three kings that are mentioned to rule. Now, chapter 7, the Antichrist is called the little horn. In chapter 8, he's called the king of fierce countenance. In chapter 9, he is called the prince that shall come. 
And in chapter 11, he is called the willful king. Different names, all speaking of the same person, the final ruler before Jesus Christ comes back. He's most famously known, or should I say infamously known, as the Antichrist. That's what most people, most Christians refer to him as and speak to him with that name, the Antichrist, or about him with that name. But did you know that there are over 25 titles of the Antichrist in the Scripture? Revelation 13 calls him the beast. Jesus Christ called him the abomination that causes desolation, referring to what Daniel spoke of. Paul the Apostle in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 calls him the lawless one, the man of sin, the son of perdition. But Daniel was the first guy to speak about him very explicitly and comprehensively. When we get to the New Testament and the church has been established, the earliest Christians had heard about the Antichrist. They knew all about him. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, Little children, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Now, where'd they hear that? Probably somebody had been teaching them the book of Daniel. You have heard that Antichrist is coming. They heard that because they heard people teaching it in their churches. They knew about it. Certainly Paul described it. Certainly Jesus spoke about him. But all of that was based upon what Daniel wrote about him principally in Daniel chapter 7. Notice a couple of things about him. In verse 20, it says his appearance is greater than his fellows. The word means chief or ruler. He will seem stronger. He will have to be stronger to subdue these three kings and to dominate the ten. In verse 8 and in verse 20, he has eyes. What a weird vision. I saw a little horn come up and these little eyes blinking. Eyes signifies insight, intelligence. I believe he will be very clever and very shrewd. I think he's going to have remarkable mental acumen, mental ability to give advice and to solve problems. I think he's going to be so enamoring, so overwhelmingly attractive to people. Because in Revelation 13, the world will say, says this, they wondered after the beast and said, who is like the beast? Translation, wow. This guy is it. Creme de la creme. They wondered after him. I can't prove it, but I believe Jesus was referring to him when he said in John chapter 5, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Another will come in his own name. Him you will receive. So somehow this little horn, this coming powerful ruler is going to be attached to the ancient Roman Empire that fragmented, that broke up. And ten fragments will reemerge some way, somehow. Now, if you know your history, you know that the Roman Empire, Rome itself, was attacked by a whole bunch of different hordes of barbarian tribes, including the Franks and the Huns and the Saxons and the Vandals and the Visigoths. And that the city of Rome was sacked eventually in 476 A.D. by the Visigoths. But that's not the whole Roman Empire. The Roman Empire in 395 A.D., about 80 years before, had split into two legs, one in the west, one in the east. 
The west was Rome. The east was Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul. In that sense, the Eastern Roman Empire continued for yet another thousand years. It was different from all of these other world-governing empires that existed. Now, what the final form of this will be, I do not know, and I'm not prepared to say definitively. For years, people guessed it was the European economic community, a revived Roman Empire, where the euro gets strong and ten European nations. Um, I'm going to suggest to you in a couple weeks that there is a system in place right now upon the earth that is growing so rapidly and so frighteningly that it fits the prophetic picture, I believe, better than anything else. It's very, very scary, but, but you're going to have to wait for a couple of weeks to get that. And somebody will protest and say, come on, this is, this is, this is modern time. The idea of a single world dictator in the midst of modern political structure, that's not going to happen. Well, hold that thought. You've got to hold it for two weeks, but hold that thought. He's going to be a powerful ruler, according to Scripture. The second remarkable thing to note is he will be a prideful speaker. Again, verse 8, verse 11, verse 20, and verse 25. Describe this little horn coming up, not only with eyes, but with a mouth. It can speak. This ruler, I believe, will have incredible oratorical ability. He'll be very articulate. Revelation 13, describing the beast, that he was given a mouth speaking great things. He's going to communicate so effectively that he'll be able to bring peace in the Middle East. Now, just imagine that. That's been a jigsaw puzzle no one has been able to solve. He's going to be able to solve it. In Revelation chapter 6, you can just make a note of this. Don't have to turn there. The Antichrist is described as the rider on the white horse. He's the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We are told in that chapter, I saw a white horse and a rider on that horse who went out conquering and to conquer. Now, that is not Jesus Christ. That's the Antichrist. Jesus Christ is the rider on the white horse in Revelation chapter 19 that judges that present kingdom of the Antichrist and brings peace to the earth after that. The writer in chapter 6, we know it's not Jesus because he brings with him death, destruction, disease, and desperation, bloody carnage upon the earth. Go, yeah, but he's on a white horse. Remember the old westerns? Remember that bad guys were on the black horses, wore the black hats, the good guys on the white horses with the white hats? So if you were a really bad guy, but you wanted to um, fake people out, You'd put on a white hat. You'd get on a white horse. The Antichrist will be the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. And he will be very, very confident. Because it says, he spoke pompous words, inflated words. Low self-esteem will not be his problem. He will exude self-confidence. I heard about a guy from Texas who went to Niagara Falls. You know, everything's big in Texas. Everything's better in Texas. If you're a Texan, please, I'm not offending you. I'm a Californian, so there. (laughs) This Texan went and saw Niagara Falls, and his host pointed out the beautiful falls, the magnificent. He said, you got anything that big in Texas? The Texan said, nope, but we got plumbers who can fix that. (laughs) 
Well, the Antichrist is going to come to fix that. He's going to fix all the bad stuff that has happened in the world, all the leaks in the world. And he will be able with his speech to persuade people. One commentator said he will have the oratorical skill of a John Kennedy, the inspirational power of a Winston Churchill, the determination of a Joseph Stalin, the vision of a Karl Marx, the respectability of a Mahatma Gandhi, the military prowess of a Douglas MacArthur, the charm of a Will Rogers, the genius of a King Solomon. Imagine having all that wrapped up into one person. Charming, disarming, clever problem solver. But he's going to be dangerous because his enticing speech at some point in his career will turn to blasphemous speech. Look at verse 25 and just note, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. This guy's going to have a mouth. And with all of his ability to schmooze and ability to persuade, at some point in his short career, he's going to turn on people and reveal who he really is. Revelation 13 tells us, He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme His name, tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. That's probably going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. You probably know the tribulation, according to Daniel and Revelation, will last seven years. The last half of the seven years, the last three and a half years, is called the Great Tribulation. What marks the difference between the first and second half is an event called the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke about it. Daniel spoke about it. That's when the Antichrist, the world ruler, the little bighorn, the big mouth, announces to the world, I want you to know that I am the one you should worship. I am the one who is your Lord and God. Paul the Apostle, 2 Thessalonians 2, speaking of him, said he will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He'll be able to schmooze Arab and Jew and bring peace. He'll allow the Jews to have their temple. But eventually, eventually, he's going to want to worship. Who does that sound like? Could it be Satan? Remember that? That's who it is. The devil is the one who said, I will be like the Most High. He wanted to be worshipped. Still does. His agenda has never changed. The Antichrist will be his ambassador. So we have an interesting description of a powerful ruler who is a prideful speaker. There's a third mark about him that is noteworthy. He will be a painful oppressor. Verse 21. I was watching... And the same horn was making war against the saints. That's what he's using the horn for, the power, the strength, is to make war against the saints, prevailing against them. And look at the 25th verse. He'll speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High and intend to change times and law. Once he succeeds in dominating the world... Then the Holocaust begins. And in the last half of the seven-year period, it will be hell on earth. It's the only way to describe it. Jesus said that time will be far worse than any other period of human history. And it will be horrific. 
The word in verse 25 for persecute speaks of the wearing out of a garment. He's going to wear down the saints. He's going to continually harass them and wear them down. Probably things like physical harassment, legal injustice, seizure of property, physical punishment, and failure to comply laws. Remember, the Antichrist is going to cause everyone to take some kind of a mark on their hand or forehead. If they don't, they will be seen as revolutionary and reactionary, and according to Scripture, they will be killed, Revelation chapter 13. So whatever peace he comes with will end, and he will make terrible war against God's people. Again, Revelation 13, which is hand-in-hand with this chapter, in verse 7 and 8, the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to overcome them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belonged to this world worshipped the beast. He'll be a painful oppressor. Now you might be wondering, well, what exactly will he do that will be so painful to God's people? Well, let me give you just a highlight, a low light. He's going to kill two-thirds of all Jews. Zechariah chapter 13. He's going to conquer the city of Jerusalem, Zechariah chapter 14. He will deceive the world and go on a rampage to kill believers around the earth, Revelation 13. But in all that I have read in Scripture about him, I don't believe he'll be a secularist. I think he's going to be a very, very religious person. Because he has with him a false prophet described in the book of Revelation... A false prophet, that's the religious component of his reign and dominion. Not only that, but in Revelation 17, it describes a religious movement known as Mystery Babylon in its metaphorical language. It is a religious system over which the Antichrist will be the head. And with all of his dominion and religious power, he's going to persecute any who are God's people on this earth. Jesus predicted this. He said in Matthew 24, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's a promise Jesus made to his people, probably not a promise we like to underline. That promise was fulfilled in the early Roman Empire by guys like Caesar Nero or Diocletian or Domitian who killed Christians and destroyed Bibles and destroyed churches. But in the second phase of this Roman kingdom, it will happen in spades. If there's any good news about all of this bad news, it's that the Antichrist won't last very long. Look at verse 25. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Sounds like an ancient reckoning of three and a half. Time, that's one. Times, that's two. Half a time, that's a half of one. All he has is three and a half years. Now, if you're going, yeah, but you know, it just says time, times, half a time. It doesn't say three and a half years. You're just sort of putting that in there. No. Um, later on, in Daniel and Revelation, it gets more specific. It says 42 months which happens to be three and a half years. It also says 1,260 days. 
you want to be exact. That's three and a half years. He's going to make a seven-year deal of peace. He's going to break the deal in the middle of that seven-year period, and he will devastate the earth. He will go on a rampage of death and destruction. Jesus in Matthew 24, speaking of the tribulation, said something that I think fits in. I, I think when you listen to it, you'll, you'll read it differently from, from here on out. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. In other words, God is only going to let it be confined to a three and a half year period, not very long in the scheme of the world history. I know if you're being persecuted or you're in pain, three and a half years seems like a lifetime, but God in His mercy is going to make it to be shortened. It's predetermined. 1,260 days, 42 months, time, times, and a half a time. So we have a powerful ruler who's a prideful speaker and a painful oppressor. The best news in this scenario is that he will be the principal loser, the ultimate loser. My favorite verse is verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days, who would that be? God, God the Father principally, was seated. His garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. All these are metaphors of judgment. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. Then I watched because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away. So Mr. Big Mouth has a little time and then he'll have eventually his mouth shut for good. And this is the judgment. Here's a picture of God the Father sitting on the throne of judgment. The thrones were seated or were put in place. The Ancient of Days was seated. He is seen in purity and wisdom and authority. White robe, white hair on the throne. By the way, we have the same depiction of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 1 with the same kind of imagery of white hair and white robe. But if you remember, Jesus said, the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And the fact that thrones, plural, are set up probably speaks of the Father and the Son united in judgment against this Antichrist. Verse 27. Best part. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. That is, these earthly kingdoms, these earthly dominions. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey Him. This is it. When these kingdoms run their course, Jesus' kingdom follows. That's the end of the world as we know it. Jesus brings in His kingdom. The first part is millennial. A thousand years of a remade earth. You'll be on this earth, remade, revitalized, perfect environment for a thousand years. After that, the kingdom is eternal. New heaven, new earth, the eternal state forever and ever. Now, when this happens, that's the time to pull out that old song we sing at Christmas, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. 
You say, well, that's a Christmas song. No, it's not. Isaac Watts wrote that in 1719, speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. As seen in this verse, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. I think I just might ask the Lord if we can sing that at that moment. It would be a lot of fun. I don't know what he'll say, but I might ask him. Verse 28. (laughs) Verse 28. I like the way he does this. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Reminds me of that old porky pig cartoon. Remember how it ended? Today, 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 that's all, folks. That's it. That's what I saw. That's what's going to happen. The world had a beginning and the world will have an end. Every kingdom that rises falls. Every single nation that comes has a shelf life. If there is a theme of Daniel that is overriding, that's it. All the kingdoms of men come, but they go. And this world will end. But Jesus said, whoever believes in me will never die. Let's say today was the end of the world. How do you think newspapers and magazines would report that? Well, one suggested it would be this way. USA Today would simply put, we're dead. The Wall Street Journal would say, Dow Jones plummets as the world ends. Microsoft Systems Journal would uh, say, Apple loses market share. Sports Illustrated would post on the cover, Game Over. Rolling Stone magazine would be, The Grateful Dead Reunion Tour. (laughs) Discover magazine would post, How will the extinction of all life as we know it affect the way in which we view the cosmos? TV Guide, Death and Damnation, Nielsen Rating Soar. Ladies Home Journal, Lose 10 pounds by Judgment Day with our new Armageddon diet. <laughs> AOL, America Online. System temporarily unavailable. Call back in 15 minutes. Look at verse 10 as we close. The court was seated, the books were opened. Isn't that just a frightful-sounding event? The court was seated. This is God's court now. This is the one who knows and sees everything. The court was seated. The books were opened. Revelation 20 says the same thing. And I saw the books were opened. Do you know that God keeps books on everybody? You know what He's looking for? As the pages turn and He gets to your page, He's looking for a big canceled stamp across the page. Canceled by the blood of Jesus Christ. I hope it's there. I hope that you're a follower of Christ and that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so that on that judgment book, as it comes to your name, it says, Transaction or transgressions canceled by the blood of Christ. Because if it's not, there is enough evidence to convict all of us to go into eternal condemnation forever. And so the dare is to decide. You know, at some point in the future, in that tribulation period, the world is going to have to make a decision 
And there will be a few who will be holdouts after the rapture, during the tribulation, for the Lord Jesus Christ to the point of persecution and death. As this man goes on a rampage against all believers. But we can and we should decide now. Now Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Because if you're saying, well, you know, I'm, not really a, I'm never really against God. I, I like coming to church every now and then. I'm not like against Him, but I'm not going to be like totally for Him. Jesus said, sorry, game's up, number's up, you're against me. If you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't help gather, then you scatter. So He's the one that put that line in the sand and said, be for me, because if you're not, you're a- actually acting as my enemy. Good news. Jesus came to save his enemies. Jesus came to forgive every one of us. So that before the court is seated and the books are open, he can step up and go, Father, Father, that one's mine. That debt has been canceled. He, she belongs to me. That's the decision. Always is the decision. And ultimately, one day, this world will decide it's either Antichrist or it's Jesus Christ. Father, as we contemplate that here and now, as we think about our life, which is but a drop in the bucket in comparison to the eternal, we're amazed and humbled and honored, really, that you have given us as much choice as you have. Though we believe in your sovereignty and your election, at the same time, you have condescended, I guess would be the best term, to us cooperating with you by making a decision, a choice, to say yes or no to your offer. I pray, Lord, that you would draw men and women to yourself. And I pray that everyone in this room or hearing this by some other means would have a resounding yes I want Jesus as my Savior and as my Master you're in that business Lord you've been in it for thousands of years you love to rescue people you love to wipe away the past you love to take the record in the book and write cancel over it no debt free to go free to live bring us to that place in Jesus name amen For more teachings from Calvary Albuquerque and Skip Heitzig, visit calvaryabq.org.